home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Well, hello, and um, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while. My name is Doug, and I did warn you a few months ago that the podcast was going to be sporadic while I worked on the basement. Now, mind you, I wasn't planning on taking such a long break, but, well, you know how it goes. After all, there is only one of me, and the basement has been my priority. So I do hope you understand. Anyway, I'm at a point now where I should be getting back to the regular schedule with the podcast, and that is to do an episode every two weeks. So yeah, I have been busy for the past few months, and in true DIY fashion, I have been doing things myself. Alone. Just me. So the process was slow. And throwing a two-month-long province-wide lockdown for COVID and having to rely on curbside pickup for lumber? And, well, no wonder framing the basement seemed to take forever. Plus, you know how on those HGTV-type shows, where they nail the framing together and just tilt the wall up into place? Well, yeah, that wasn't me. I put my walls together one two-by-four at a time. And I have my reasons for doing it that way. There was stuff in the way. There's variation in the joists and the floor. I mean, neither is level. And I was working alone. And this allowed me to do as much or as little of a section as I wanted to at a time. For me, building in this way just seems easier. Now, I know it isn't. And it's definitely a lot slower. But it's the only way that I've ever done framing. I was also cutting the boards out in the garage, which meant that I would take my measurement, run upstairs, outside, into the garage, make my cut, run back inside and downstairs to test fit the stud. If it didn't quite fit, I would then run back outside, make any tweaks, you know, sneak up on the cut, and then run back inside and downstairs, make sure the stud fits, make sure it's plumb, and then finally screw it into place. Yeah, Um, good exercise for sure. And it kept all the sawdust in the garage, but holy smokes, it is not an efficient way to work. And there was a lot of framing. So needless to say, I am kind of tired and burnt out. And buying the lumber was a pain because of the curbside pickup during the lockdown. To buy lumber, I had to order it online and then take the time to go to pick it up. And the order wouldn't be ready for several hours, or usually until the next day. And then I'm waiting for half an hour in the parking lot for them to bring my order out, and I was relying on someone else to pick my lumber for me. Now, some did a good job, but others, well, let's just say as the 2x4s were being loaded in the back of the minivan, I could tell some of the studs were already warped and twisted. Definitely not lumber that I would have picked myself. Maybe I could have refused the ones that were obviously bad, but then I would have had to wait for the associate to go back into the store and pick any replacements. And they'd already picked the bad lumber to begin with, so (laughs) I really don't know how much to trust their judgment. And then what if the replacements were bad? 
So I, I just figured that it was going to be easier to try to work with whatever I was given and set aside any bad ones to return later. I bought my lumber in relatively small batches, and I did that for a couple of reasons. First of all, lumber prices were astronomical. I think I paid an average of over $10 per 8-foot-long 2x4. The most I spent was over $11. Now, mind you, that is Canadian money, but then you have to add our 13% sales tax on top of that. By comparison, pre-pandemic, the price for a 2x4 was under $4. So we're talking more than double, almost triple the cost. So um, I kind of wanted to spread that cost out. I was also only buying what I could use in a short period of time, so there was less chance of the studs warping and twisting in a pile in my basement, waiting for me to get to them. Plus, if I got a particularly bad batch, the number of bad boards would be limited. Well, sometimes I could work with everything in my stockpile, but there were other times that I would just get some momentum going only to grind to a halt when what remained was unusable. And then I would have to wait for my next order to be filled. It was very frustrating indeed. What would take traditional framers a few hours to knock out took me several weeks. But the framing is done now. And uh, wouldn't you know it, lumber prices are back down to normal. Timing is everything, but I was working with a deadline in order to qualify for some energy rebates. At least once the lockdown was lifted and the stores were again accepting returns, I was able to get my refund. Now say what you will about buying lumber at the big box stores. They are really good about taking returns. Even though pricing was all over the place for the several weeks that I was buying, they gave me the maximum amount that they could for the refund. So, yeah, uh, the framing is done. The next steps are the electrical rough-in, the plumbing rough-in, and then insulation. Now, the electrical I have done myself, totally legit, with the proper permit, and I am happy to say it has passed the rough-in inspection. It might have been nice to have an extra set of hands to help pull wire or an extra set of eyeballs to determine the best routing for the wire, but I managed to get it done working by myself. Again, slowly. But hiring an electrical contractor was just not in the budget. And that was thanks in part to the gastronomical lumber prices that would have put us way over budget if we had a budget to begin with. But really, there was no reason why I couldn't do it myself. I will be talking more about electrical work in upcoming episodes. The other major component was the plumbing for the new laundry room. Now, unlike the electrical, where I have some previous experience and the confidence that goes with that, I really don't have much experience with plumbing. Sure, I've joined ABS pipes together and I've soldered copper pipes, but roughing in new plumbing with proper venting? Well, that's just not something that I've done before. And besides, there's a whole other code that I would have had to familiarize myself with. And that's why I took the easy route and I hired a master plumber to rough in supply lines and a drain for the utility sink and the supply lines and standing pipe for the washing machine. 
We had also talked about reconfiguring some of the existing plumbing in order to clean things up a little bit. He had come out a few weeks prior, and we walked through everything that I wanted done, and he gave me a price. But on the day that he was actually doing the work, it became clear that he had underbid the job, and because of that, his frustration grew as the day went on. At one point he said, I work on high-rise buildings and here I am stuck in your damn basement. Except I don't think he used the word damn. Ah, the perils of working without a written contract. Even when things seem straightforward, a verbal contract just doesn't cut it. And I think in this case, it was more of a benefit to the plumber to have everything itemized instead of relying on the rough math that he did in his head. Now, I could see that the scope of the work was more than either of us had originally anticipated. And I did ask him several times throughout the day, you know, how much are we up to now? How much is this going to cost me? But he was an honorable businessman and he stuck to his original price. So I had a moral dilemma. On the one hand, he was the businessman and he should have provided a more accurate estimate. But on the other hand, I knew that he had to be losing money on my job. Legally, I only had to pay his original price, but morally, I wanted to be fair. So I did a rough estimate of the cost of materials and the labor for him and his helper. And I basically split the difference between what he probably should have charged me and what he actually quoted. The result of that was. I still got what I felt was a fair price for the work that he had done, and he didn't lose any money on my job, although he didn't make as much as he could have or should have. It it was just the right thing to do, even if I spent more money than I had to. And believe me, I would rather still have that money in my pocket. But it is what it is. So... Framing, done. Check. Electrical rough-in, done. Check. Plumbing rough-in, done. Check. Oh man, could it be that I was finally ready for the insulation after all this time? So I called. I scheduled. And we were all set for the week before Labor Day. Small problem though. It was the end of summer and the kennels were completely booked. We were going to throw our dog in the kennel and shack up in a hotel overnight while the spray foam off-gassed. So I contacted the company to postpone our job once more. And they contacted me to postpone the job because they were behind schedule after being shut down for a COVID case. Well, some more time passed and I am happy to say that the job has finally been completed. And it took about six hours from start to finish, including an hour to prep the site. We now have what is referred to as flash and bat. That's a couple inches of spray foam topped off with bat insulation, which gives us about R23. No additional vapor barrier is needed beyond the foam because as long as the foam is thick enough, the surface of the foam won't get cold enough for condensation to occur. 
Now, Flash and Bat is not without its controversy. But as I spoke about previously on this podcast, I'm just not convinced that there is any perfect way to insulate a basement. So now all that's left to do is hang a few sheets of drywall. About 40 of them. No rush. I'll just hang a couple sheets here and there as time and budget allow. And of course, I still have to finish the electrical so we can get the inspection done for that. But as far as finishing the basement, I mean finishing the basement, flooring and ceiling and all of that. Well, let's just call that phase two. And that will wait until we completely recover from the expense of phase one. Phase one also included the new HVAC equipment that I talked about previously. So I thought what I would do now is give you a bit of an update on the equipment now that we've been living with it for several months. The furnace was wonderful, but it was installed in the spring, which means we really didn't need to use it to full effect. But when it was on, it was barely noticeable. And by that I mean the sucker is quiet. And it kept the temperature in the house consistent and comfortable without any noticeable temperature swings. And the air conditioning has been much the same way. Again, very consistent, very comfortable. As for the mini-split ductless in the garage, with the garage not being completely insulated, I have not yet tried to maintain a constant temperature out there, which was my original plan. That day may still come in the future, but right now, I have only used the unit on a couple of occasions when I've needed to. And what amazes me the most about it is how evenly it heats and cools the entire garage. Now, mind you, the garage is small but the conditioned air seems to reach every corner and it only takes a few minutes to heat up or cool down. But again, I had this installed in the spring, so the heat was barely used. We'll have to wait to see how well it does in the frigid winter temperatures. I can confirm, however, that the air conditioning works beautifully and it is whisper quiet. The tankless water heater has presented a bit of a learning curve. First of all, Even though tankless heaters are often referred to as on-demand and instant, it actually takes a little bit longer for the hot water to reach the faucet. And that's because the heater doesn't kick on until the water starts flowing. And then the water has to go through the heater in order to get heated. As opposed to the hot water tank where the water is already heated and waiting. And there's... Also another phenomenon with the tankless heater that you may have heard about, and that is the cold water sandwich. If someone has recently used the hot water, there will be a residual supply of heated water left in the pipes between the heater and the faucet. It kind of gives you a false sense of security because when you turn the faucet on, you will get that residual supply of heated water. It might not be as hot as it was originally, but it hasn't yet had the chance to cool down completely either. But then, you get a blast of whatever cold water has flowed past the heater before triggering it to kick on again. And that can be a bit of a shock if you're not prepared for it. And then, you finally get your constant supply of hot water. But even accounting for the cold sandwich, 
the temperature in the shower still seemed to fluctuate for the first minute or so. For some reason, we had the temperature set at 135, which is just way too hot. Adjusting it to 125 seemed to solve that consistency issue. Now, expert opinions vary as to the ideal temperature for hot water. Some say 130 to 140, but you have to keep in mind that 140 can be dangerous if you have young children. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, recommends 120. Anything less than 120, you risk bacteria growth, although this may only apply to water sitting in a tank. I'm not sure if it applies to a tankless heater as well. So 125 seemed to be a decent compromise, and that seemed to solve that consistency issue. And in fact, I have since turned it down further to 120, and nobody in our household has said anything. And I'm happy with it, so that's where it's probably going to stay. The bottom line with the tankless heater is we expect our water bill to go up. But we also expected that to be offset by our gas bill going down. After all, we are no longer keeping a 50-gallon tank of water heated. However, we seem to be using more gas at this point. The water heater is the only gas appliance in use in the summer, and so far, compared to last year, our usage has gone up. I am hoping that with the efficiency of the furnace, that will balance things out in the winter. But in all honesty, the tankless heater hasn't quite lived up to its promise. I will keep you posted as we get more data. But even if we were using less natural gas, we are still using more water. And that water is treated. And there's an energy cost there and a resource cost there that we don't necessarily see directly. That water ends up going down the drain. And while in theory it's going to be out in the environment available for future use, it would have to be treated again for human consumption. So at the end of the day, I am not sure that I would agree with a tankless heater necessarily being labeled as green. But hey, at least we don't have 50 gallons of water being continuously heated in our basement when we're not using it. Now, in terms of our bottom line, our bottom line, the tankless will pay for itself after, I think, seven years, based on what we were paying to rent the tank heater. Now, of course, buying a tank heater would also pay for itself over a rental, and it would do it in a much shorter period of time. But getting rid of that 50-gallon tank, that freed up floor space in the basement which led me to decide on a completely different floor plan. A floor plan that makes much more sense and is more practical and, I think, should result in a higher resale value for the house. I wish the utility cost savings were there with the tankless heater, but overall, I think the other positives make up for that. And that is where I'm going to leave off with this episode. I think I'm going to keep the episodes a little shorter going forward. I actually had more than I wanted to cover in this one, but it made the episode too long. Besides, it'll give me something to talk about next time. 
This has been the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. I want to thank you very much for joining me. My website is thumbandhammer.com, and I'm also on Twitter, at Thumb and Hammer. Comments and suggestions are always welcome, and I would love the opportunity to help you with your home improvement questions. Just visit my contact page to get in touch with me by voicemail or email. I will be back soon with another episode. Until then, cheers.